Before we get started, I have a new book coming out, and it's especially for those who either didn't go to college or did go to college and don't remember anything they learned. It's just not fair that we would pay that much money for a college education and still not know how to grow a business. That's why I wrote the book Business Made Simple. It actually embraces the idea of micro-learning. So what you do in Business Made Simple is you read 60 daily entries every weekday for 60 days, and then you get a video in your email box that explains the entry, enhances it. By the end of 60 days, you will know more than you remember after having gotten an MBA. The only difference is it doesn't cost $50,000 or $75,000. It costs $20. You can pre-order the book on Amazon right now. If you know anybody who is trying to grow a business, or anybody who wasted a ton of money on college and still doesn't know how to grow a business, get a copy for them too. Just go to Amazon.com, look for Business Made Simple by me, Donald Miller, and join the revolution of people who are disrupting the university system for pennies on the dollar. If you pay for an education, you deserve to get a return on that education. The book is Business Made Simple. Check it out on Amazon today. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson, after a little bit. But first, I want to talk to you about our guest today. It's Lee LeFever. I first heard of Lee LeFever when I was in the airport in Baltimore, Maryland. I was in a bookstore, and I picked up his book, The Art of Explanation, one of the best books I've ever read about business. It's all about how to take complicated ideas and explain them simply. He mostly works in the tech space creating explanatory videos, but he takes that philosophy and he helps you apply it to, to what you do. Not unlike building a story brand, helping you clarify your message, except he's really focusing more on these complicated ideas that are our, our customers, our vendors, they need to understand in order to do business with us how to explain it to them simply. I really like Lee. We've had him on the show before. What is most interesting to me about Lee, though, is that he is a brilliant guy who could easily have 100 employees, easily have a 20, 30, 40 million dollar firm, and he chooses not to. I'm always fascinated by people like that because there's some part of me that maybe subconsciously, or let's just face it, consciously believes that if we aren't growing, we're dying. If we aren't passing somebody, we are being passed. It is counterintuitive for me to settle. And that is contrary to the idea Lee talks about in his new book. It's called Big Enough. Many of you who struggle with the unbelievable high D of Donald Miller on the disc test, that Enneagram 3 that is completely out of control, you're going to love the fact that I'm about to get put in my place by a guy who knows better. You're going to enjoy my conversation with Lee Lefebvre. Lee, it's great to have you back on your book, Big Enough, Building a Business That Scales with Your Lifestyle. Many entrepreneurs started a company, had dreams of uh, growing a big company and realized it dominated their life even more than their, than their lives in corporate America. You are fighting this trend and trying to help entrepreneurs understand that the company doesn't have to be big and they don't have to be exhausted. I would imagine this comes from a personal story. What's your story uh, that led to the writing of Big Enough? Our story goes back to 2007, 2008, especially. Uh, my wife, Sachi, and I my, were sort of teammates in Common Craft, made uh, some animated videos back in 2007 that explained social media. It was right when uh, YouTube was starting to take off and those videos went viral because they explained social media 
media in a way that was understandable for sort of normal people. Yeah. It brought a lot of opportunities to us. We uh, were suddenly being hired. We were being, uh, we were started licensing our own work and we took a step back and said, what business do we want to be in? How do we want to run this company? What are we going to do with these opportunities? And it was in 2008 that we sat down and added constraints to our business that said we'd never have employees, we'd never have investors, we'd always work from home. You know, that was 2008, it's 2020, and we're still operating within those constraints. Big enough is our story of of going through that and figuring out how to make it work over those years. As, as somebody who has a vision, starts a company, I imagine you're a little bit competitive. You know, I, I'm wired in such a way that if we're not growing, somebody's going to take us down. How do you regulate yourself from saying, well, competition could beat me if I don't grow bigger? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I, I grew up assuming that businesses exist and business and entrepreneurs really are driven to just make as big a pile of money as possible. Mm, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I, I really admire entrepreneurs who aim for you know these big companies. We need that. I think I discovered along the way that there is a place for entrepreneurs who think differently and who build companies not with the biggest goal being the biggest pile of money, but maybe quality of life and, and things like that. Um, I, I did go through a transition where younger, as a younger person, I wanted to be the person on the cover of Fast Company magazine or something like that. Having worked on Common Craft for many years, being a small home-based company, I started to see that there is I, what I hope is respect and value in entrepreneurs that, that find they can be more sustainable and healthier and and happier by having a different sort of view of, of that competition that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I think we're winning. You know, I think <laughs> the people who are health, happy and healthy are winning. Yep. It's counterintuitive, but it, it makes all the sense in the world, right? We drive to do the things that actually make us crazy. You actually talk in the book about an entrepreneur trap. What are the characteristics of a trapped entrepreneur? <laughs> well, I think there's a couple. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that go into uh, starting a business with the hope that someday it will allow them to retire early and live the life they want. Um, but that happens actually fairly rarely. I don't think that, that that's something that, that is all that common. And what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs is they might have a successful business, but it's not successful at a level that allows them to retire early or sell the company. So they're kind of um, just going through the motions for a while. And, and that's great for some people, but for the ones that are dreaming big, um, that happens. And along the way, they, they trade their lifestyle and maybe their happiness, home life, family, for that potential, and and I think that's part of the trap. The solution you recommend in the book, and there are a few of them, but, but uh, overall you describe it as just thinking small, that you should think small. And uh, I'm curious about what think small means to you as an entrepreneur, when so many entrepreneurs are big dreamers, they're driven people, they would never think small or want to think small. Uh, you recommend that, so what does that look like? We live in an unpredictable, chaotic world right now. We don't really know what's going to happen next. And I think that small companies, people who are trying to sort of rein in some of the things that are out of control in their life, become uh, they get into a position where they're able to weather a storm and they're able to be agile and they're able to to turn quickly when when conditions change. And if we've seen anything happen in 2020, it's been this change of conditions. You define uh, time as the new wealth, not money as the new wealth. Yep. Uh, it seems like a very balanced, spiritual, deeply centered 
point of view. And yet, I go back to the to the idea that to most entrepreneurs, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. And I'm wondering about that transition for you. How did you come to think of uh, time as money or time as even more valuable than money? What was going on in your life uh, that you wanted more of your time and less of money? Yeah, yeah. One of the times that I first thought that was uh, I lived in Seattle for 20 years and have lots of friends who started startups and went to a lot of tech conferences and Common Craft was a, a part of that world. And we would go to tech conferences and I would talk to founders and they would be full of uh, anecdotes about their recent funding round and their valuations and their number of employees and how much they were hiring. And I, I appreciate that. I, I admire that. When the conversation switches to me and we're just this two person people making videos from home there's not really you know a lot of respect there among entrepreneurs but i thought to myself and i I never did say it to anyone but i thought to myself like yeah i know but do you know i haven't had a meeting in three weeks and i don't have an alarm clock and i can just i'm in complete control of my time yeah (laughs) and um that that when i mentioned winning earlier i feel like that's a form of winning when um we have a business it's been around since 2003 it's been successful it supports us but at the same time, I feel like I live a healthy, happy lifestyle. I think it's sort of apples and oranges to compare that to um, a huge bank account. Right. But I think now and in the future, and especially in the context of the pandemic, people are seeing that maybe that's where their satisfaction and happiness comes from more than the pursuit of more, more, more. You mentioned that you know starting a business uh, that you know in advance is, is going to be big enough that... Uh, you're not going to let it dominate your life and you're not going to sort of worship money over time. And uh, it all stems from your values. And I'm curious about one, how did you figure out what your values were? And then how did your values actually determine what sort of company you started and what sort of company you run? I think that the values that we were able to come to terms with uh, came through discussions with my wife, Sachi, who's who's a partner. I think it's true with any partnership that um, values are a discussion that you have uh, with yourself and with others, especially in the context of, of business. And I think that we started thinking about this when we had opportunities to grow in terms of building a creative agency that we would hire people and, and start making more and more custom videos. And we were torn because there was an opportunity to make money and become a bigger, more successful business. But we also had the option of potentially licensing our original content, and that offered a different path. And when trying to figure out, do we get bigger and become a manage, become managers and leaders of a bigger company versus going smaller and focusing on digital products, how we made that decision was thinking about what we value. Like, what, what do we value now and what are we going to likely value in the future? And we saw that the path of building a bigger agency was related to... Uh, it took away some of the things that we thought were important. And those were independence. Like we wanted to be independent and we wanted to be in control of our time. We were a, a couple. We are a couple. And as a as a married couple going into business, if decisions we make in the business lead toward our unhappiness or unhealthiness, then it potentially risks everything. We might not even have a relationship anymore. And then, you know, what's it all what's it all for? You know, if, if we can't be happy as a married couple, then why why would we go into business? A lot of our story is really seeing opportunities and saying no to them or trying to to make them fit into our constraints because constraints are really a, a tool or a device for enacting our values. Okay, well, in order to do this, this all to some listening sounds luxurious. They say, well, we have to hustle and our marriage gets affected because we're trying to grow this business and we're working 70 hours a week just to get uh, the business off the ground and pay our mortgage 
mortgage. You actually empathize with that in the book, and you talk about some things that you can do in order to get money flowing into this company that is big enough. One of them is protect your intellectual property or put your intellectual property to work for you. How can some of our businesses apply that idea? It's assumed that when you make some make something for a client, that they own that intellectual property. That's how a lot of creative services, especially, work. Um, you know, as people may know, copyright law uh, says that if if you make something, whether it's a photo or a drawing or write something on a piece of paper, you own that copyright by default. Just by making things, you are making copyrighted material, and. Once you understand that you own something versus giving up that ownership to someone else via a work for hire kind of relationship, you can start to see that you have the ability to build things that you own and you can actually file them with the federal government and make them yours. And the way I talk about it in the book is copyright is the right to make copies. It's the exclusive right to make copies. So as a business person, you might ask, okay, if I make something valuable, how do I make that a business? Well, copyright says that you exclusive you have the exclusive right to make copies. And I think that's that does a lot of business, especially in terms of digital goods like courses, uh, videos like ours. Lead generating PDFs, uh, you know, even if you're an insurance broker, something that other insurance brokers might want to read. Uh, and I would imagine this is a step toward passive revenue. And I've been amazed at the kinds of companies that create passive revenues. Another thing that you recommend that I kind of go, huh, I wonder how Lee sees this, is you recommend partnering with the competition <laughs> and actually sitting down with those competing and seeing if there's something that you can come up with together that would be mutually beneficial. What's your philosophy about this? Why are you not afraid to partner with the competition? And can you tell us a story of success? One of the things I say is the internet is really big. It's not like that you're competing next to the dry cleaner down the street. Like there's almost this infinite market for things, especially for small companies. So I'm not concerned as, as about someone eating our lunch necessarily. I think there's room for almost everyone as long as you can compete in terms of quality. Yeah. One of the stories from that is, uh, you know, we were the first movers in the explainer video movement in 2007. And we kind of become, became known very quickly and had a lot of opportunities. Other producers started to also produce explainer videos at the time. And uh, we saw that we were getting most of the demand coming to us. And we, we had decided we were going to be a two-person company. So we thought it was a shame to have all this demand and not have a supply for it. Hmm. So I went out to the video producers that seemed to be doing good work and said, hey, uh, we're getting lots of leads. Uh, what if I create a page on commoncraft.com called the explainer network that will have listings for other producers. And when demand comes to us, we'll point them to the explainer network and, um, that the idea worked and we had up to nine members. Did you charge, did you charge a monthly fee for them being on that directory and turn it into revenue, another passive revenue stream? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, again, being small, we looked for the most lightweight way to do it. So we did a flat fee, uh, 750 a month is what it was to be listed on the explainer network. So that was $750 a month per company and times nine. I mean, everybody's doing the math now. That's great. That's a great little income for two people. By, by being a flat fee, we didn't have to deal with all the details of revenue sharing. We probably could have made more money revenue sharing because people did really well for a while. But I, I, I'd love to know, you know, your wife and, and how much you guys value and appreciate this life. I mean, I think it would be good for our listeners to hear the, the incredible benefits. I mean, what sort of vacations are you guys doing? How much more free time do you have? How many less arguments? Describe your life for us, Lee. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a big question. That's a big question. Um, I do think we uh, we've achieved some things by having the business work the way it does. Um, I'm talking to you from a place called Orcas Island, which is off the northwest coast of Washington. I've I wrote a book on Orcas Island. You wrote a book? I've spent a winter on Orcas Island. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. No, I spent a winter there. There's a little lake in the middle of the island. I used to take my kayak on that lake, and I would kayak across. I kayak across the. Uh, the uh, bay there, <laughs> which was the kayak shop, told me not to do it. <laughs> it can be a little hairy. It can be uh, hairy, and definitely I ignored them, and, it was, and it's a whole other story. There was a little bit of fear in the middle. Oh, that's awesome. So you, you did a writing retreat here? I did. I, well, I did three months there. I wrote, uh, I wrote to, to Own a Dragon, which was a book about growing up without a father, and I thought, you know, I've really processed this stuff, and I'm very healthy. I should write the book now. And it turns out I wasn't. So I do not recommend processing your father issues alone in the winter on an abandoned island. I wish I would have known you were there. There's a sea otter. There's a sea otter still there that if I come there, they go, no more about your father. And they jump into the... Yeah. Into the <laughs> that. That's great. That is so cool. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, I can, I can tell you then that Lee lives a great life. If you're on Orcas Island writing books with your wife, that's, uh, that's all you got to say to me. That sounds incredible. Really, the, the control of our time has been one of the biggest drivers to be able to uh, not be under anyone else's schedule um, and to still be uh, running a business and supporting our customers and our members. That's that's the thing that we drop everything for is when a member needs support. But uh, for the most part, the, the business kind of runs on its own. Lee, you, you know, you've mentioned membership. Uh, can you just say what, what your members get and where where somebody can go to learn more? The Common Craft website is called commoncraft.com. And there we have a couple of libraries. Um, we say that we uh, we help teachers explain technology that connects to a safe and productive use of the internet and computers. Well, it sounds fantastic. I, I would imagine hearing how you live your life, your members have utmost respect for you, uh, as do I. Uh, Lee, you're in, you're what we call in story brand uh, vernacular an aspirational identity. That is a character that you want to be more like. Thanks so much, Don. All right. Say hello to the sea otters for me. <laughs> Will do. You know, I, I do think there is a way to be really driven and, and build a big company and not become a jerk. And I hope, yeah. I hope that I, I will accomplish it. Because to me, you know, I, I was sitting on the back porch with Betsy not very long ago, and we're building this barn in the backyard that is basically an event space yeah. on the bottom and three offices on top. And it's, yeah. it's basically a way that I can keep working. I was telling my wife the other day, I, I would like to build a treehouse office that I could go and write in, you know, it's in its own place on the land and, you know, it's a small office. Yeah. And she pointed out, this would be my fourth office. <laughs> To which I pointed out, they all get used. They and they do. They actually do. You and people can even see on your social media they get used because you use them all the time when you're recording and writing. My philosophy everything. is you don't want to be more than 50, 60 feet from an office because mm -hmm. you're going to need to sit down at a desk. That is and a get philosophy. Something, get something done. <laughs> well, I, I am, believe it or not, very grateful for Lee and, uh, and so the example am I. that he's got so uh, so the rest of us. Uh, also, I have another inspirational person to introduce you I to. Know. It's not just Lee. I met a guy named Justin Christensen. He has a pants company. He makes pants <laughs> yep. in Brooklyn, New York. Actually, he makes high-end, very beautiful trousers. And he took over this pants company and uh, he's, he wants to grow it, expand it. And then right in the middle of that, the pandemic hits. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally we're just going to pull somebody out and say, how'd you survive? Mm -hmm. How did you thrive? 
because immediately business went to about zero. Yeah. Talking about facing a headwind and it's just always inspirational to me or it has been lately inspirational to me to hear about what certain business leaders did, not just to survive, but to thrive. Here's my conversation with Justin Christensen of HurtlingUSA.com. You were ramping up the business. You you were selling into some boutique stores uh, and having great success with that. You had started e-commerce that was just getting going, and then the world sort of shut down. Can you tell me what happened right around mid-March in your mind and heart as you heard that uh, retail was probably going to shut down for an extended period of time? When COVID became more apparent in New York, in Brooklyn, and we started hearing about the shutdown of business, et cetera, like you said, it was really frightening and certainly started to think this is probably, okay, this is probably where things will will end. We all know now that you, you are surviving and thriving even in the midst of the pandemic. So we know you made it out, but what is the first thing that you did to get your bearings? I pray and I seek God's wisdom. And uh, either that or I talk to my wife first and, and she helps me. Sometimes it's hard for me to know the difference between God and my wife, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm with you. <laughs> they, both, they both seem like they have supernatural wisdom. Often I, I hear God through my wife. There you go. <laughs> we immediately started talking and I realized people are already talking about how to pivot for the immediate needs. And the thing that got me thinking was car companies pivoting to make ventilators. And then we started brainstorming and it became very obvious that we had something, the tools that we could use to serve needs that were right around the corner. Face masks and hospital gowns. That became to me like, oh, yes, we need to start making these things. And, and I don't know how, but within two hours and literally I forget the date, but it was three days before our governor uh, shut down New York City. I walked in in the morning. We did a sample out of material that we had. And within an hour, I was posting about it on Instagram just to get some feedback and say, okay, we we can make a face mask. And we started engaging with people like that. And honestly, that was since that moment, we actually never had to shut down. You, did you lay off anybody? No, but there were a couple of people who, through various reasons, did not come back. It could be um, a mother who needed to be home homeschooling. Right. But it was not a financial necessity that you let anybody go. No, I thought it would be. What did the process look like to figure out how to take these uh, masks and turn them into money that keeps the operation going? I, I simply posted because I didn't even know how to create this as a product in terms of put it on the website if that was the right way. So I put it on Instagram that we would have them available. If people wanted to buy them from us, just DM me. And by the way, I just established from the beginning, whatever we sell, we will donate an equivalent amount. And I think that message became appealing to friends and the word got out. And next thing I knew, I had uh, honestly in your backyard in Nashville, somebody who owns um, a network of hospitals DM me, who's a customer of ours, said, I saw your post and I'm thinking about buying 15,000. How do I pay you? At one point in the height of it, we had 60 people volunteering at home sewing who we provided boxes of material for 50 to 100 masks. All of this funded through purchases online through Face Mascade. 
and then distributing to New York City nursing homes, hospitals, fire stations, and now schools. And that continues to now. You're still making face masks now. And you're also making trousers again. We're back to trousers. I'd say we're, we're actually still making 40% of our production is face masks. How has this experience changed you as a leader? And also, what did it do to change your business strategy moving forward? My eyes have certainly been opened to the fact that we can do much more than we ever thought. We can come together and innovate and make new things or find new ways to sell them. Nothing is out of the question, really. And that gives me a lot of optimism and hope because I, I love to dream and dream beyond my dreams. And this has like, encouraged me to keep doing that. Justin, uh, congratulations on not only your survival through this pandemic, but uh, your thriving during this pandemic. All right, listen, if you want to look better than the person standing next to you, go to hurtling.com. <laughs> Can they buy, also buy your face masks? Yes, on hurtlingusa.com or facemaskaid.com. There you go. Justin Christensen, thanks for your time. Thank you, Don. Pleasure. Justin is doing great things. I hope that was inspirational to you. Justin also wanted me to let you know that if you go to hurtlingusa.com, it's H-E-R-T-L-I-N-G-U-S-A.com and use the code STORYBRAND, you can get 15% off a pair of trousers. He makes really nice high-end trousers. So if you are listening to this podcast, I want you to look down at your legs. If you can see your legs, you need some pants. Go to hurtlingusa.com. Use the code STORYBRAND and you get 15% off. That is not a deal we made with Justin. There is no money exchanging hands. We want these businesses to survive and thrive. We want the same thing for you. So if you need some trousers, buy them from a great guy, hurtlingusa.com. Use the code STORYBRAND. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Hey, this is Bobby Richards, producer of the Building a Story Brand podcast, and I want to remind everybody out there in the community that as a thank you, Don and JJ will be doing a Q&A on our podcast November 23rd. It is right around the corner, and we still want to give you an opportunity to get your question answered on the air. Whether it's about how to best pivot during the pandemic, how to best clarify your message and strategize for the new year, or anything in between, we want to hear from you. Here's how you send us those questions. Open up a voice memo app on your smartphone, record a 30-second message that includes your question along with your name and the type of business you own or work for, then send that message to podcast at storybrand.com. Like I said, it is right around the corner. November 23rd is when we're going to be doing the Q&A with Don and JJ, so make sure you send us those questions now. And again, thank you so much for listening and subscribing to the Building a Story Brand podcast.